2: Hour number two underway now, eight minutes past 10 o'clock as we continue. Thanks for joining us on this Thursday. It's the 12th morning of the eighth month of the year of our Lord, 2021. Great phone calls so far this morning. We'll pick those up again at 1035. So if you've got a question for me on some of the things we've covered, by all means, dial us up then. Or if you've got a comment on something that we, you haven't heard yet, 216 But this segment is reserved every Thursday for our good friend, Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper is a... Uh, he's a talk show host. He's got his own podcast, radio broadcast uh, called The Rebellion in Oklahoma. He is a best-selling author. He is a columnist for The Washington Times, and he is also a past university president. But most importantly, he's our Thursday uh, guest. Uh, Dr. Piper, good morning. How are you, sir?
3: I'm doing great. By the way, Bob, I listened to the tail end of the previous uh Segment and I agree with you 100% on the COVID situation, the vaccine, as well as the Delta variant conversation we're having right now. Spot on.
2: Yeah, you know, I mean, we can we can pick that up a little bit too. There, I, I'll i be 100% honest with you. I I I, I there is no I, I'm not convinced, and this is going to sound terrible and it's going to sound conspiratorial. I'm not convinced, Dr. Piper, that there is a Delta variant. The only reason I say that is they have readily acknowledged there is no test for the Delta variant. There is still just a COVID test. But they're saying since more people are testing positive with COVID, it's it's got to be the new Delta variant. Uh, and when they're done with this one, because, again, they're saying it is much high, much more highly infectious, but it is obviously much less lethal, They will have another one teed up. And, in fact, they're already talking about the Lambda variant striking hard in parts of Africa and parts of Asia, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm very, very much afraid that this is something they don't have to prove scientifically. They can just use it with, you know, as a propaganda tool to, uh, you know, send us into 2022 in this extraordinarily important election year on lockdown mode.
3: No question. I mean, you said it months ago. I agreed with you months ago, that this is a, this is a um, this is a scenario about power as much as it is about any any pandemic. They've grasped the ring of power, J.R.R. Tolkien, Lord of the Rings. They have the ring of power. They're intoxicated by it. Power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. They have proof that all they need to do is scream. There's a really bad virus out there and the entire American population will bow the knee in compliance and do whatever we're told. That's why Rand Paul is absolutely right. It's time to say no, that freedom is important, and that freedom is a first thing, and that Patrick Henry was right. Give me liberty or give me death. Do we believe that, or are we so afraid of a virus that we'll say, I'm afraid of death, so take my liberty? This is where we stand as an American people right now, and I'm not claiming to be a medical doctor. I've been very slow to comment on the whole COVID-19 vaccine thing on my podcast and radio show in Oklahoma because I'm not a medical doctor, and I don't want to act like I am. Often when I see this news out here about COVID, whatever it is, I'll contact a couple of my trusted medical doctor friends, and I'll say, is this accurate? And if they say, well, part of it isn't, don't post that. I don't because they know more than I do. But here's what I do know. This vaccine is experimental by definition. By definition, it's still experimental. And what right does anyone have to tell me to be a guinea pig and a lab rat for an experimental vaccine? Now, there are people listening right now who have chosen to be vaccinated. and That's fine. That's your choice. You may have a comorbidity, and it may have been a good thing, a smart thing for you to go get this and roll the dice because this virus, this really bad flu could kill you. I've got friends that have made that choice. I don't begrudge them that. But if you don't have a comorbidity or if you're a young woman and you don't know for sure if this thing is going to have negative effects on your unborn baby, either by virtue of fertility, you never have one, or you may be carrying one, then this could be the next thalidomide. We don't know. Is that a conspiracy comment? No, because by definition, you don't know what the long-term consequences of this drug will be. You can't know. It hasn't been around long enough. So in that context, I agree with you completely. I agree with you on the power grab thing, but I also agree with those who are saying, wait a second. We don't know what this thing does. We're not doctors. We just don't know, and therefore, we don't want to take it.
2: Yeah, very, very well said. You know, and since you brought, I was going to start with schools, but let's do this. You brought up Rand Paul. Now, Rand Paul has been suspended from, from uh, YouTube. Uh, thank God he has a Rumble channel, uh, but he's got a YouTube channel as well, and he's been suspended from it because he posted a video in which he, by the way, who is also a medical doctor, he chose to be a, a, um, uh, an eye surgeon, but he is a full-on medical doctor. He went through medical school. He has extraordinary knowledge and training. And he gave his opinion about what masks do against a coronavirus, which is nothing, and about the vaccines as well. Um, they suspended him for this. He was condemned by, well, virtually everyone on the left, but specifically, I'll ask you about Rashida Tlaib. Uh, I call her Sharia Talib because of what she stands for. But she tweeted of Rand Paul. The Kentucky senator is throwing a tantrum as his state is being swallowed whole by this virus again. He needs to put politics aside and put people first. Start resisting the virus as opposed to resisting the mask mandates. That was the subject of largely of Rand Paul's video. The very evening she posted that tweet, Dr. Piper, she was videotaped, dancing, maskless, up close and personal with a bunch of people at an event. Now, this is where I have a problem. You said you admit readily you're not a doctor and you don't pretend to be. But people like Sharia Tlaib pretends to know what she's talking about but refuses to act on her own advice she condemns Rand Paul for saying masks are useless then goes out there and dances and acts as if masks are indeed useless and they are not necessary for her and her friends the Obama birthday party and another example of that Obama and the rest of his celebrity friends dancing close face to face with no masks and we're told well they're a sophisticated crowd, though, so they know what they can do and what they can't do. This is, you talk about, you know, not pretending to be a doctor. These people are pretending to have the answers, but then displaying, uh, you know, the fact that they will refuse their own advice.
3: Oh, absolutely. I mean, you're taking the words out of my mouth. As I watch the news this week, there's one word that comes up repeatedly in my mind. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. It's a good word. You talk about Tlaib. You talk about the Obama party. We have hundreds of people who are proving that they're hypocrites. We have thousands of people, but in the case of these two news stories, you have people that are proving that what's good for thee is not good for me. In other words, was it Marie Antoinette? Who said let them eat, eat cake? Essentially, that's what they're saying. You can just go eat cake. You can pound sand. I will do something different than what I'm calling upon you Could do, because I'm sophisticated, and you're nothing but a heartland rube, a deplorable who wax gray matter. This is the language they've used to describe us, who have enough common sense and a brain and a head on our shoulders to look at all of this and say, wait a second, I'm not claiming to be a medical doctor, Rand Paul is, and he has issues with this, so shouldn't we listen to him? And, and and why would I want to just comply because Rashida Khalid says so or Barack Obama says so when you're not doing it yourself? And Anthony Fauci, you are a medical doctor and you're condemning the Sturgis Harley motorcycle rally, the Sturgis rally saying it's going to be a mass spreader. But you say nothing about Wallapalooza in Chicago where 300 <laughs> people show up in Grant Park. You're quiet about that. And there were crickets when it came to the Obama Party. So why should we believe Anthony Fauci? He's being hypocritical. He's being selective in the way he guides us, or I would even be more negative, condemns those who don't disagree, or excuse me, those who don't agree with him.
2: Right. And, you know, Dr. Piper, the the, the, the real issue for me, is because, you know, you said you're not a doctor and you know. I'm not a doctor either. I couldn't name all 206 bones in the human body. I, uh, I couldn't talk about neurological function. But I can read. And when I read mm-hmm. people who are doctors, citing actual science, citing actual studies, and I'm talking about people like Dr. Dan Stock in Indiana who addressed that Mount Vernon school board in a viral video that went viral just a couple of days ago. And he cites the studies uh, upon which he bases his assertions as a physician. And Dr. Fauci can cite zero studies. Dr. Fauci and the director of the CDC, who's not even a doctor, um, Uh, Rochelle Wojcicki or whatever her name is, uh, or Walensky, whatever it is, um, she can't cite studies either to back their guidance on masks and on vaccines, but I have other doctors who can. I don't have to be a doctor to be able to read, and I don't have to be a doctor to be able to look at sources and studies. These people uh, are uh, talking about people like Dr. Stock are presenting them, and they're the ones being dismissed as the kooks. They're the ones being dismissed as the anti-science crowd when they're the only ones presenting science.
3: Again, why should we believe people that say we should attend to the science who argue that the world is going to burn up, but they don't have the science to prove that climate change, as they describe it, is accurate. The science isn't there. In fact, there's a lot of science to prove otherwise. They don't but have the science they drum those people
2: out, But they drum those people out of the scientific community because they, they, they're yep. bucking the science that they want us to, to, to believe yep. in.
3: Yep, exactly. The masks, they don't have the science. The long-term effects uh, from the vaccine... You can't have the science because you haven't no. Hasn't been around long, long enough to have any longitudinal data. And then all the other aspects, like the biology, the biological reality of a female, they deny that, but then they turn around and scold you for not wearing a mask. Are you serious? I <laughs> mean, come on. It's time for us to ask questions and do what Rand Paul told us to do to value freedom as a first thing.
2: Exactly right, and resist all of these mandates that take away our freedom. And by the way, I <laughs> I wasn't going to do this uh, but because I did this for a couple of segments already, but just real quick, since you said value your freedom first, um, what's your response to the Terminator? And not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. And not- he literally said that on CNN when talking about people who are complaining their freedoms are being violated by mask mandates and vaccine mandates. And he literally said, screw your freedom. Your freedom doesn't matter when other people's health is in, in jeopardy.
3: Uh, well, that That's a summary of the political left. They haven't been stupid enough to say it that forthrightly, but that's the way they're behaving. Anthony Fauci is saying, screw your freedom." Joe Biden is saying, screw your freedom. Talib is saying, screw your freedom. Obama, by virtue of his party, is saying, screw your freedom. We'll exercise our freedom as we wish, thank you, but screw your freedom. Remember that quote when 2022 elections come along? Better they just told you to screw your freedom.
2: And this guy's a Republican, by the way, <laughs> for what you can make yeah. of it. But but he is he is he is operating obviously uh, right out of the Democrat playbook with a line like that. All right, more with Doctor Piper. We're going to talk about schools, and it's important. You're going to want to hear this next. AM fourteen twenty. The answer. Okay, 1024. I've got a few different uh, school stories to discuss with Dr. Piper here. We're going to try to squeeze them in before the bottom of the hour. Uh, Dr. Piper, I want to go to the Washington Times. I'm going to go to your column of Sunday, August 8th, in which you talk about the schools in this country needing to return to a Christian ethos, to propagating a Christian ethos. And here's the line that I think is most important in your piece Simply stated, the primary purpose of education in America for the first couple hundred years of our country's existence was to maintain the nation's moral order. Schools were founded to galvanize future leaders in a common faith, faith in Christ and faith in America. Now, I would say that secularists, uh, would probably suggest, or just non-Christians would suggest that you're wrong, that the purpose of the, of education in this country was to educate, to inform, to, uh, teach children how to think for themselves, and teach children how to read and write, et cetera, et cetera. But you think that the belief, or excuse me, that the first order of schools in this country's founding was to restore moral, or to maintain rather moral order. Explain that.
3: Well, this is where I would say I am a doctor, and those that want to challenge me on that <laughs> <There you go.
2: laughs>
3: can pound sand, <laughs> my doctorate is in education. So uh, I sound a little pompous by saying that. But as Ryan Paul can say, wait a second, I'm a medical doctor. I think you ought to listen to what I'm saying. Well, my PhD is in educational administration, higher education leadership, pedagogy and andragogy, and the history of education. So. It is a fact that Harvard was founded as a Christian
1: institution.
3: It is a fact that Yale's very mission statement said, to lay Christ at the bottom as the foundation of all learning. It is a fact that seven of the eight Ivy League schools were founded expressly and explicitly on mission statements almost identical to what I just described. It is a fact that Northwestern University in Chicago still has on their field a passage from Philippians, It is a fact that even the University of California still has a Christian motto, let there be light. It is a fact that education for the first 200 years of our existence essentially was in the British model and not the German model. And the British model of education was this, to educate a moral culture, to educate In the context of a historical liberal education, a liberal arts education was an education in what, Bob? Liberty and freedom. And they recognized that you could have no liberty or freedom if your populace, your population, your citizenry didn't understand moral boundaries. Education, up until just yesterday in the terms of history, was about moral propagation and teaching people how to live upright lives and to value freedom. It didn't turn into the scientism of worshiping people like Anthony Fauci until the German model came into existence with the founding of Johns Hopkins University. So if they want to argue with me about history, uh, bring it on. We can bring it on about what education historically has been. And here's the end of my rant here. How is it working for us now? Now that we've abandoned all of that historical foundation, all of that virtue of the historical model of liberal education in the context of liberty, I'll ask the Dr. Phil question. How is it working for us? Is this really where we want to go in terms of the future of America?
2: Very well said. Just to, I don't know, give you another nugget to to rant on here. Um, How do you respond to those who constantly point to, quote, the separation of church and state? uh, Because this is what they have used to remove God from schools, remove any... You know, vested even even in in many schools, even moments of silence with which people could use to pray if they wanted, uh, but they say that the the state and religion have no business, including state sponsored schools, have no business intersecting with one another.
3: Again, that's that's a that's an idea that has been imposed upon us in historical terms in the last five minutes. Look at the previous hundreds of years prior to that. Look at the original concept of separation in church and state, which was in in Jefferson's letter to the Danbury Baptists, where they were worried, those Baptists were worried about the state intruding into the business of the church. And Jefferson said, don't worry about it. There's a wall protecting you from the state. The state can't do that. In my terms, I would say it like this. There is a wall separating the church and the state, but that wall has a door in it and the door is locked from the inside, and the church has the key, and the church can open the door, enter into culture, be salt and light, do its good work in culture, and then go back through the wall and shut the stupid door and lock it and keep the government out of its business. We've reversed the very concept that Jefferson was promising to the Danbury Baptists. So yeah, there's a wall, but it protects the church from the imposition of the king. It doesn't protect King from the salt and light and the goodness of the church
2: dr piper i normally don't do this i think one other occasion i've asked you to put in overtime do you have another segment in you uh yeah yeah Uh, i don't know what your calendar looks like if you've got something that's okay
3: no no i i just i paused only because i wanted to think rather i needed to run but i'm good to go
2: okay if you are, good, because there's two other school stories that I would like to discuss with you, one involving segregation and its return to the classroom, and also uh, the end to the need for reading, writing, and arithmetic where equity is concerned. I'll get you the, your comments okay. on those as we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I
1: wish that I could fly into the sky.
0: There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority on AM 1420, The Answer.
2: Okay, 1036 now. We continue on AM 1420, The Answer with Dr. Everett Piper. Dr. Piper, obviously you have um, dedicated a large part of your career uh, to, um, to education, so I figure this is kind of a uh read it ready right in your wheelhouse soon you know, I'm not just talking about the role of Christianity in schools as you just did, but let's talk about schools in general. This also ties into your books, too. Uh obviously uh, Not a Daycare and your sequel, which is out now, uh Grow Up, Life Isn't Safe But It's Good, a National Bestseller. You should definitely get that uh as well. But so there's two stories, public school stories, I wanted you to comment on. The first one comes from Oregon, where Uber Liberal Governor Kate Brown uh has just decided that Reading and writing and arithmetic is not the goal of our school district for our children. Or school, I should say, the state schools, since she's the governor. Uh, that's, that's not the most important thing. The most important thing is, is having the same number of minority students graduate and get good grades as white students. And the only way to do that, since, you know, in her racist mind, minority students can't cut the muster on their own. They're just not smart enough to be able to get these grades on their own. We have to dumb them down. We have to just basically take away the challenges. So what she has done, uh, is she has dropped the requirements that students democrat, demonstrate they have achieved the essential skills of reading and writing and doing math by signing Senate Bill 744. The bill, um, is suppo- according to Charles Boyle, the governor's deputy communications director, is supposed to help and benefit, quote, Oregon's black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, tribal, and students of color. It will help them get better grades and help them graduate at standards equal to those of uh, non-minority students. So, Dr. Piper, we've seen similar things to this in various districts. I don't know that I've seen an entire state say that we are going to dumb down the standards because we just know that our minority students aren't smart enough to achieve them.
3: Um, This is so sad. It's so sad in so many ways, but it's emblematic of education, not just in the state of Oregon, but education in Ohio and education in Oklahoma. The people that are in charge of education in all of our states actually think this makes sense. The people that have been educated in our schools of education across the nation have been taught this nonsense for the last couple decades. So it's no surprise, bad ideas in, bad ideas out. So what you have as educational leaders across the country right now that are more in favor of equity than real education, they think that if you can dumb down the standards so that there will be equitable outcomes and redistribute performance, that's what they're doing. They're redistributing performance so that if, you try hard and get a good grade, and you deserve it, the guy sitting next to you who didn't try hard deserves the same grade. That is asinine. That makes no sense. What you're going to end up with is a less educated population that doesn't understand how to read, because by definition, they're not going to measure it. They don't understand how to count, because they're not going to measure it. They don't understand biology. They can't refute the lunacy of claiming that a female isn't really a female and doesn't deserve any rights therein. We have a population that is stupid because we haven't educated them in a manner that we used to. And this governor, governor of Oregon is actually admitting that that's the law of the land. We're not, we're not going to require you to teach that students that two plus two is four if they believe it's a postmodern construct, if they believe it's a product of critical theory and that demanding right answers in mathematics is nothing but the imposition of white privilege, then they're actually saying this type of nonsense. How in the world can you trust the, uh, the bridge that you're going to drive over if the engineer didn't get taught how to count? That's really where we're going, Bob. This is a very dangerous place.
2: You know what's also struck me about this um, strange and disturbing story is the inclusion of Asians in the group of minority students that will benefit from lower educational standards. Everything that we know shows that Asians are far outperforming inc- everyone, including whites in American education.
3: And Asians should be offended because now the hard work that they've put into getting those grades really means nothing. But because the white guy, like me, sitting right next to him, is going to say, well, I deserve the same grade. Okay? So what it does, and you nailed it at the front end introducing this particular story. This is an insult to the blacks and to the Native Americans because it basically, doesn't basically, it explicitly comes right out and says, we don't believe you can perform at the level of others because you're too stupid. You don't have the intellectual capacity to measure up to others. So we're going to just get away from the standards and we're going to let everybody get a participation trophy at the end of high school rather than demonstrating that you actually even learned anything.
2: I believe, Dr. Piper, that a strong argument could be made. And there are a lot of great threats to this republic. A lot of them, uh, the attacks on the First Amendment right there at the very top, free and fair elections so that we can choose our own destiny right there at the very top, too. But I think a strong argument could be made that the gravest threat to this republic as we know it today is the attack on meritocracy, the end of meritocracy, that that requiring people to achieve and to earn and to learn um, at their very highest level, is how you advance in the society. Um, the, the The end of that will lead to an end to innovation, an end to technology, an end to 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 success. Quite frankly, everyone will just coast along, knowing I'm going to get the same grade as everybody else. I'm going to get the same distribution of wealth as everybody else. The same property as there. It will just lead to a stagnation of the human spirit. And I don't mean to be over or melodramatic about it, but I think I think an end to meritocracy is an end to this country as we know it.
3: I, I agree with you. I'm going to add to it. I think the greatest threat to the American republic, to our constitutional republic, is our schools. Our schools are responsible for the problem you just described. And if we don't correct that, if we don't get our schools right, if we don't elect people, whether it be the local school boards or whether it be your secretary of public education within your state, if you don't elect people that understand that our schools are broken and that they're teaching equity versus meritocracy and that they're teaching socialism rather than constitutionalism and that they're teaching the exceptionalism of America rather than the degradation of America, if you don't elect people that understand the critical theory is behind all of this because it tears down the responsibility of the individual and it encourages all of us, point the finger outward and say, it's your fault. It's your fault. I deserve my pound of flesh, flesh because I'm a victim, and therefore I want what's mine. That is what we're teaching right now in this educational paradigm, and that is not a recipe for freedom. That is a recipe for fascism, and they're admitting it, going back to the Terminator, screws your freedom, we're going to be fascists and control you.
2: Yeah and and you know this is this is the American left doing what the American left does promoting perpetuating and practicing racism uh doing it openly and doing it with the willing acceptance of the media and of of academia um and and of and of politics the American left is just you can't be expected to get a driver's license to vote a photo identification if you're black we know that's too hard for you you can't be expected to read and write and do those crazy math problems the way other people can that's too hard for you we know you don't have that capability the, the big Candace Owens calls it the bigotry of low expectations and it's on display daily by the american left and it's accepted and if I were a person of color on that list that is supposed to benefit from the dumbing down of the standards and the removal of the proficiency testing for those basic uh, academic requirements, I would be extraordinarily offended. How dare you say that I cannot achieve the same scores as, as the white guy sitting next to me. If I was a person of color, it would, it would, it would, it would infuriate me. Black Lives Matter should be issuing statements condemning Kate Brown for suggesting that they are less than, that black people are less than, and they won't do it.
3: Absolutely. And why in the world, if you really believe in empowering blacks, why don't you you extol the leaders of success, such as Thomas Sowell and Candace Owens and Larry Elder? Why don't you elevate and use these people as examples? Historically, why aren't you talking about Booker T. Washington? Why aren't you talking about these leaders who have demonstrated that they can learn to count, that they can learn to read, that they can learn to write, that they do understand science, because they've been leaders in all of those fields. Why not elevate them as examples, as emblematic of what you, too, can accomplish if you work hard, rather than insulting everybody by suggesting that you can't do it. Therefore, we're going to change the standard, and we're going to celebrate the fact you participated. Here's your trophy. Congratulations. You have a diploma. That is not education. That's a joke.
2: The last one for you, Dr. Piper, that I have, and we are talking with Dr. Everett Piper, uh, going a little overtime today, is um, is out of Atlanta. I spent some time last night when I first saw this story, and I have to say thanks to my wife, by the way. She sent me the story. I, I don't know how I missed it in the news myself, but uh, I spent some last time last night as I prepared this morning's show just looking through some old texts and also some photographs of the Jim Crow era, the pre-Civil Rights era uh, segregation that we practiced in this country. And if you look back and you remember those photographs of lunch counters that say whites only and the restrooms that say whites on one door and coloreds on the other door and the drinking fountains, white drinking fountains, colored, white schools, colored schools, Uh, all of these things... um, I wanted to remind myself of and I wanted to remind myself of all of the people who sacrificed and put their lives on the line and fought to end racial segregation because of the evil that it really was in practice. And I did that because of this story, the story of the principal of an elementary school in uh, Atlanta um, who decided that the best way to educate the students there was to bring back racial segregation. This principal separated the classrooms, black students in one, white students in the other, and never shall the two mix. Uh, she's been sued by one Atlanta mother who brought this to light. Kyla Posey filed the complaint against the Mary Lynn Elementary School, in which principal Sharon Briscoe instituted the segregated classroom concept because she felt it would be best for the students. Dr. Piper, it was ruled unconstitutional, separate but equal uh... brown versus the board of education eliminated the segregation and separation of students by race and now here we are the victims of that racism back in the pre-civil rights era african-americans are the ones and this is an african-american principle who believe that going back to it is good for african-american students and what do you say
3: uh, it's the logical outcome of critical theory. critical theory is it's a theory that focuses on segregation it extols segregation rather than integration. It's a segregationist theory. You know, I believe when I was an educator of leading people toward this high goal of integrating head and heart and fact and faith and belief and behavior, I was an integrationist. I believe not only in integration in the mind, but integration within the body of Christ, that there was no Jew or Greek or Scythian, or Barbarian, that the biblical worldview held forth that we should all come together as a university, and that we weren't going to elevate diversity, because there's unity in truth, and when you start worshiping lies, you're always going to have division. And what this woman is showing is that she's worshiped at the altar of critical theory, and that theory calls upon victimization and rights. And vengeance rather than the elevation of virtue and the unity that comes with the fast,
2: the uh principal as I mentioned uh who made this policy um is an african american woman i I wonder Dr. Piper had a white principal said all black students are going to be in this room, all white <laughs> students are going to be in this room. How do you think that would have gone over
3: oh all hell would have broken loose. you know that. You know that.
2: Because. They didn't even fire this this principal. Uh, the statement the statement from Atlanta Public Schools, let me read this to you, and then I'll get your final word on it. Atlanta okay. Public Schools does not condone the assigning of students to classrooms based on race. The district conducted a review of the allegations. Appropriate actions were taken to address the issue, and the matter is closed. Um, that's it. Just put them back. Put them back into into mixed classrooms, and we're done here. And That means this principal keeps her job with her mentality, her pro-segregation mentality, is still in charge of an entire elementary school full of children. I mean, how could any parent trust that their children are going to be treated fairly in that school with that principal still on the job? Most particularly white parents of their white kids, knowing that the black principal wants them separated from black kids. How how can anybody have confidence that their kid is going to have an education in that school?
3: Well they can't. They have zero confidence because they've shown their cards that they don't think that there should be unity within the educational system. They've shown their cards, critical theory again, and that is division is the way we win. Divide and conquer. Segregate rather than integrate. Elevate one group above another group. Blame another group for the problems of all the groups. That's the nature of critical theory. And they've shown their cards that they believe that. They just got caught with their pants down, so to speak. So they pulled their pants up, buckled their belt, but they're still the same individual. When you catch somebody doing that, exposing himself, you fire him. You don't just, You don't just move on.
2: Dr. Everett Piper, uh, some really difficult stuff to talk about, but we need to talk about it. We need to make people aware of it. It's the only way that we can perhaps start to combat some of these terrible things. Dr. Piper, thanks for going over time today. We appreciate it. Uh, best, to, uh, best to you. We'll talk to you next week. Blessings. Well, Bye-bye. All right, that's Dr. Everett Piper. It's 1052. Don't forget to get his latest book, Grow Up. Life isn't safe, but it's good. you got to read that book. We'll be back after this. Okay, 1056, final segment is always a short one on AM 1420, The Answer. But i got time for a call or two. Thanks again to Dr. Piper for uh, putting in the uh, extra workforce. Really a lot of important stuff. He is an expert in the field of education, whether it be at the high school level, really at the elementary level as well uh, through his studies and his Ph.D. and all the way during his time as a university president. So I uh, really appreciate his uh, lending of his wisdom to us. Uh, Gary is in Olmstead Township. Hi, Gary, you're on the air. Go ahead.
4: Hey, Bob. Hey, I think I may have sent uh, a copy of a an article uh, that was published in uh, March uh, th- of this year, uh, and it talked about the use of specially trained uh, dogs to detect the COVID-19, and it, it it cites in the Journal of Osteopathic Medicine, the American Journal of Osteopathic Medicine, that dogs were clearly, the most accurate and most expedient way of detecting COVID-19. Now, this Delta variant, this Delta variant, if in fact it really is a Delta variant, the dogs will be able to di- differentiate between COVID-19 and the, the uh, Delta variant. So, uh, the bottom line is, none of these hospitals want to get on board with these dogs. These the ones up here. I've contacted everybody. And you've got dogs that are working in hospitals like in Sarasota, Florida, detecting COVID-19. You've got uh, the Miami Heat who checks everybody before they go into the arena for uh, COVID-19. They use dogs there. But uh, why there is this uh, attitude uh, towards the use of dogs up here, it's probably because they just think they can't control uh, the whole idea. But in any event, uh, it's a great article. Uh, there were four distinct studies at sites, and uh, you know, I don't know. The medical industry here in uh, in Cleveland needs to to get their act together. I mean, because here's a way to truly be able to detect uh, the delta the delta variant, and there are no other ways uh, that are available.
2: Well, here's the thing I would say in response, Gary, because I'm out of time. And thank you for the phone call. I, I I'm assuming. That the biggest challenge here is, would probably be, you know, getting enough dogs. And I, I don't know the availability of service dogs. I don't know how many you need. I don't know how many, how long it takes to train them to be able to to set, you know, smell and, and get that scent and 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 to alert people where COVID nineteen exists and where it doesn't. I like the idea, but I'm just trying to think: how many thousands and thousands and thousands of dogs would you need to have one at every school before they go in, every arena, every government building, every place, etc.? It's probably a little bit more cumbersome than Enjoy I would than silence. I would think they think they can do. That's all I can say about it. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye bye.
0: Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon intelligence agency, knew all the government's.